Lord, thank you so much for the reality that we have just sung about. That we are no longer slaves, that we are children of God. And as we, as we look in Romans 8 at this litany of so many things that you have done for us to bring us into a relationship with you that is unimaginable, Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to that reality and allow us to live into it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, Spanky uh, told us at, during announcements, be praying for uh, Dr. J and our teens as they are, and, and of course their adult leaders, <laughs> uh, as they are down in Mobile, Alabama. They're going to be doing all kinds of work projects uh, around the community there. And uh, then in the evenings, they have uh, a time of worship, and Dr. J will be speaking to them. Um, so it's a time for, for them to reach out to the community, and then in the evenings, for God to reach out to them. So uh, do keep them in your prayers over the course of this week. Now, when I was growing up, I was obsessed with baseball. And uh, on Saturday afternoons, I always wanted to sit down and watch a baseball game. But it seemed like on the, the few channel, channels that we got on the TV, um, there was this part of the afternoon where there was, you were kind of waiting for the game to start, and there was this lull in the programming, and usually... There was one of those infomercials. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? Those infomercials, uh, usually with a guy named Ron Popeil. And uh, am I talking to the right people? Anybody seen this before? And so he he would be displaying some sort of product, whether it was a, a rotisserie oven or uh, a knife set or. Uh, a pasta maker. Those, those are the three that I remember off the top of my head. And over the course of the hour, he, he would just be adding things to the package. And there was a line that he would continuously say, probably every 10 or 15 minutes, anybody know what it was? But wait, there's more. And as I've been looking at this passage in Romans 8 this week, that has kind of been the refrain that I have heard in my head as Paul has just come out of chapter 7 showing us the, the perennial struggle against sin that we all face. I mean, how many of us, we, 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 we resonate with the apostle when he says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I do is what I don't want to do. And I, I do the very thing that I hate. How, I mean, have you all been there? Because I sure have. And so, you know, he gets to the end of chapter 7, and you, 
it almost feels hopeless, like you're caught in this struggle, and what in the world am I going to do? And Paul, in chapter 8, is going to tell us, oh, that, that's not the end. In fact, this is just the beginning, and it gets so much better. So would you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8? And I'm going to read the whole chapter for us here. The apostle says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again, rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory." I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation 
has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the first thing that we see in this passage is in the first verse. Paul says, the righteousness of Christ removes condemnation. He says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who struggle against sin, like we saw in chapter 7, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. God is 100% for you. Instead of condemnation, God gives us freedom. The law of the Spirit replaces the law of sin. The old law merely pointed out our sin. The, the law in the Old Testament was by its very nature condemning. It demanded perfection and it punished 
imperfection. And while, while it pointed out sin, it had no power to produce righteousness in us. And so God, through Jesus, does what the law could not do by itself. Jesus comes as a man in the flesh. Jesus satisfies the righteous requirements of the law, living the perfect life that we couldn't. Jesus takes on himself the punishment for sin that we deserved. And then those who are united to Christ in faith receive the righteousness of Christ as their own. Look at what, what Paul says in uh, 8, verse 2. He says, uh, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that is, in Jesus, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And you'll notice, Paul says that we receive a new mindset. In verse 5, he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So this, we've got two mindsets here. We've got the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit. The mindset of the flesh is the mindset that we are born with. The mindset of sinful humanity. The mindset um, that is hostile to God. That doesn't want to submit to the law of God. Indeed, Paul says it is unable to submit to the law of God. But then, because of what Christ has done, we receive, and our faith in him, we receive the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers our minds and gives us what Paul calls the mind on the Spirit, it, it belongs to those united to Christ in faith. And he says, it's a mindset of life. It's a mindset of peace. A mindset of peace. Peace, first of all, with God, right? But also peace with others. And so if... If our minds are, if, if, we, if we don't experience peace, we may want to consider, what, what's going on? What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in the flesh? 
Do I desire to follow God? Am I experiencing righteousness in my life? The mind of the Spirit empowers righteousness and desires to follow God. And so through all of this, we see that the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross removes condemnation. That's good news, right? I mean, this is, this is the basis of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done. That's awesome, right? This means yes. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Not only does the righteousness of Christ remove condemnation, life in the Spirit turns slaves into daughters and sons. Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh... You will die, but if by the, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Following the law for salvation was a, a hopeless activity. It only acts to enslave us, constantly trying to be perfect even though perfection on our own is completely out of reach. It's, it's like the guy in the movies who's, who's out in the desert. And he's, he's been going for a while. And, and out in the distance, he sees water. Or at least he thinks he does, right? But what he really sees is what? A mirage. It's the appearance of what looks like a sheet of water on a hot surface, like sand in the desert, uh, caused by refraction of light from the sun on heated air. And in the movies, the, the characters were often chased after these mirages, only to find out, uh, usually after they've taken a mouthful of sand, <laughs> that there is no water there. They keep following these mirages just to be met with more frustration and and that's what it's like living in the flesh you're you're constantly and, and live, living according to the law you you've got this list of rules that you are trying to to keep and this standard of perfection that you try so hard but you just can't get there It's a fool's errand, you see, because only Jesus can give the living water that is the hope of salvation. Salvation through the work of the law is a mirage, and chasing it is an exercise in futility. But leaning into the law for salvation puts all the emphasis on our ability to perform. 
Pressure to perform denies the power and purpose of the cross and diminishes the meaning of Jesus' sacrifice. The reason that Jesus came is because we can't do it on our own, right? So why do we, why do we worry about this so much? Why do we try so hard? Some of us are constantly trying to change the world around us. I mean, you you see it in our political climate these days. We're we're trying to to pass laws to, to force people to live in the way that we want them to live. Just give us more laws so that we can control the situation. It's like Dr. J said last week. If any law could change the heart of humanity and propel them to moral lives, wouldn't it be God's law? And yet, not even God's perfect law could perfect us. The law wasn't designed to do that. We're so broken, and when we try so hard to fix things, when we we try to clean ourselves or the world up in our own power, we just end up making a bigger mess. And so Jesus came to move us from that, that slavery to sin and to the law and move us to something more. And so what, what Paul describes here is this transformation from being a slave to sin and to the law to being a son or a daughter of God, to being adopted into his family. Look at verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Fear of punishment, right? Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Through the spirit, we are adopted into God's family. We've been transformed Where we used to be slaves to sin, we are now the daughters and sons of God. It is not just peace and life. It is those things, but it's more. Now, in ancient Roman culture, having a male heir was crucial for keeping land and possessions in the family. So, if you had a couple without a male heir or reasonable expectation of producing one, Uh, they might adopt a son in order to carry on the family name. Sometimes, if you were in a tight spot, you might even buy someone else's slave, free them, and then adopt them. This actually happened in in ancient culture. And here's, here's what's amazing. When that happened, the adopted person would immediately adopt the power of the family name. So one minute, they are a slave. 
taking orders, afraid. The next minute, they are a son or a daughter. Well, in this case, a son. But with, with all the rights and privileges and power that came with that family name. Um, th- this was especially common among the politically connected families. And they, they would adopt for the sake of establishing ties to other powerful people. And so this is what happens for us when God declares us righteous based on the merits of Christ. He purchased us from slavery and adopted us into his family with all the rights of sonship or daughtership and power of the family name. Whatever was given to Jesus based on the life that he lived, the perfect life that he lived, is given to us along with him. Isn't that amazing? We who were slaves, who were enemies of God, are now adopted into his family. He's he's not just God, a detached, impersonal being. He's a father. He's our father. Who we can cry out to in especially difficult times. Jesus used that same expression, Abba, Father. Do you you know when, when Jesus used that? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed, as he prayed, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. In his darkest hour, he cries out to the Father. And that avenue is open to you and to me. Isn't that amazing? Our status as family changed our relationship with the law. And so instead of serving the law like slaves, we now live to please God as children who want to please God. A parent. And instead of a written code to follow, we live by the example of the living embodiment of God's law, who in this case is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came and lived the sinless, perfect life that you and I couldn't live, who died a death on a cross in our place that you and I deserved and that And, and now, through the Spirit and through faith, that relationship that he had with the Father is open to you and to me. Life in the Spirit turns slaves into sons and daughters of God. But wait, there's more. All things work for God's glory and our good. Continuing on in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, and hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Creation, Paul says, along with humanity, longs for what is coming in eternity. The entire biblical narrative is this move from creation in Genesis. And then we have the fall and The rest of the biblical narrative is moving toward that vision in Revelation with the new creation, where the lion will lay down with the lamb, where there will be peace with God, where where God himself will live once again with his people in paradise. And Paul says that the creation is is groaning, desiring for that time when, when all will be restored. And not just the creation, but but those of us who who long for Christ's return. When we will experience in full what we have been promised. That is, the, re- the resurrection of our bodies at the end of the age. And this is what we hope for. The realization that this life right here is not the end. There's more. But in the meantime, Paul says, the Spirit helps us, verse 26, in our weakness. When we're at our, our lowest points, we, when we don't even know what to pray. Have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten just overwhelmed by the cares and circumstances and struggles of this life? And you're like, I know I should pray, but I'm not even sure what to say. I don't have words because it it feels like just one thing after another, like the waves are crashing against my life, and I don't know what to do, and God, where are you, and what what am I supposed to do, and how am I going to get through this? 
I've been there. And it says at those times when, when we are groaning in our spirit, the, the Holy Spirit translates those groanings and helps us to pray and communicates our struggle to God. Groaning with, he says, it says with groanings that are too deep for words. And he helps us to realize that even if we don't see it clearly, God is bringing about his purpose and working all things together for our good. That wonderful promise in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. So the question that we have to ask here. It says for those who are called according to his purpose. Because in the way that Paul uses the word called in, in his writings. Generally it's an effective word. It's not just you know. Like I call somebody on the phone, and of course, they, they didn't have phones back in those days. But, you know, calling across the way, hey, how's it going? You know, calling to somebody. That's, that's not what, what Paul has in view here. It's, it's when God calls somebody, it's effective. Like in, in, in this realm here, Paul is saying he, he calls us. According to his purpose that he is going to work out. And we know this because of the litany of things that he says after this. So he says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined... He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So God, in calling us, essentially says, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to call them to be my disciples and I'm going to provide every single thing that they need for that to become a reality. It's not that God calls us to do this impossible thing. He's already done it in Jesus And so, I, I know for me, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Like, I, I see the things that are, you know, I, I want everything to, to line up and be just right in my life and do everything just so. But I'm human, and that's not possible yet. But 
God, through Jesus, has saved me and made this so that it will be a reality eventually. And so we hope for what is coming based on what God has done in the past through Jesus. And even when we don't see all the inner workings of what God is doing, it's, it's like that, that song that we sing pretty regularly, excuse me, Waymaker, even when I don't see it. You're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And so God, in the struggles, in the challenges, in the mundane things of this life, in our relationships, in our daily work, in the world, in our interactions with those around us, God is using every single one of those pieces to bring about our good and his glory. Even when we don't see it. Because God's purpose, he says, is to conform us to the image of his son. All things work together for good. All things work for God's glory and our good. But he's not done yet. But wait. There's more. God's people are not conquerors, but more. Notice what he says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies You see, it's what we've been saying all along. God in Christ Jesus has already done it. Who's going to bring a charge against God's chosen because we've already received the righteousness of Christ through faith? Who's going to be the one who condemns? No one, because God would be the one who condemns us. And he's already done the work. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? No. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So often when I've heard people talk about this passage, the focus is on the conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We can do anything. But in fact, in this passage, that's not at all what Paul is saying. Because in this passage, we're not the conquerors. Right? God is the one who is doing all the work. He's the one who sent Jesus. He is the one who has adopted us into his family. He is the one who has given us the spirit. He is the one who has called us. He is the one who is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is the one who is working all things together for our good and his glory. He is the one who will bring about the new creation and is preparing us for that day. God is the conqueror. We are the beneficiaries. And that deserves a bigger amen. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is so at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Like, you could, you could study this passage for the next year. And if that's all of the Bible you read, you would have a greater understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Oh, how amazing is the work that God has done. Oh, how great is his love. It reminds me of what 1 John says in chapter 3. I, I love this verse. It says, oh, how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us. I love that word. He's not stingy. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And so then, to bring everything to a climax, Paul then offers this declaration. He says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He's being super comprehensive here. Nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, the infomercials don't have anything on what God has given to us. This is the greatest infomercial in the world, and we should be spreading it to everybody who will listen. And so, what, what I want to ask you this morning is, do you get it? Do you get just how amazing God's love is for you? How much he cares about you. How much he wants to change your life and your relationships. And not just that, 
He's not looking for you to do all the work. He's done all the work. You just need to trust and allow the Spirit to work through you. And He works in ways that we don't always understand, but we can be confident that He is in the process of conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, through everything that goes on in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who when we were hopeless, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we couldn't find a way to you because we were slaves to our sinful flesh, you made a way through Jesus. And so, Lord, regardless of what is going on in our lives, may we trust that you are in control and that you are working all things for our good and for your glory. And when we hold on to that hope until one day when we see you face to face. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.